Hey guys, and welcome to episode 269 of Built on Passion. I'm your host, Matt Delabuono, and this week we have on Sego Skiko co-founders, Peter and Tim Wells. Sego Skiko is a ski manufacturer making high-quality handmade skis. Over the years, Sego Skiko has been growing hand over fist as a rapidly rising star in the ski industry. One of the remarkable things about Sego Skiko isn't just the fact that they make a remarkable pair of skis, it's that despite experiencing some serious growth, expanding their facility, growing their team, just always making these major improvements, they managed to stay committed to the foundational soul on which they've built Sego Skiko. In addition to completely owning their entire manufacturing process, they've seriously grown their partnerships, working to help expand the accessibility of snow sports and get more people out there to enjoy it, whether it's their local hill or somewhere along the Powder Highway in BC. In this episode of Built on Passion, Tim and Peter Wells peel back the curtain on some major milestones they've reached, their vision for where Sego Skiko exists in the snow industry, and their how and why behind starting Sego Skiko. Tim, Peter, thanks for joining me today. Good to see you. Yeah, great to be here. For the listener who is unfamiliar, just to jump right in, who are you? Who is Peter and Tim Wells? We describe ourselves kind of front and back of house. So I kind of front of house, day-to-day accounting, marketing, sales. My background is in real estate and finance. And Peter and I got together, started a ski company seven years ago now. I guess every moment's been full of challenges and ups and downs and overall it's been it's been great yeah definitely a wild ride as tim said i'm the back of the house so running production that also includes designing all the skis coordinating materials logistics planning making sure that the skis get made and they look super nice and that they're skiing well that's my role and then sago who's sago sago is really the combination of peter and i's vision to be a U.S. manufacturer of skis, and we do some snowboards. We can get into that as well. We do pretty much everything in-house. We don't grow our own trees, but all the main processes we have in-house now. We're located in Victor, Idaho, just over the pass from Jackson. And yeah, it's really about a sustainable lifestyle, making great skis and trying to be the heart and soul of skiing at the base of the Tetons. So I'm assuming you guys have been skiing for since... You could stand just starting at least. What made you guys decide to to do this? Decide to jump to Sego Ski? It's all as Tim mentioned. It's all about kind of a sustainable lifestyle in the ski industry. We both obviously love skiing, love making turns, whether it's in powder or on hard pack bumps, whatever it is. I love it all. It's hard to stay a skier and make sure that that's the focus in your life for the rest of your life. That's a hard thing. So really came down to brainstorming. How do we make this happen? How do we stay in the ski industry, have fun, have filling careers, and get it done? There's plenty of bad ideas, and I I don't know if this was a good idea, but here we are. We're still doing it. So way too much money later and a lot of effort. We're still making skis, and, and we love where we're at, and we get to ski and hang out and hang with our friends and stoke people out on really high quality gear. When you could say that part of your job is going out to test skis and make sure and build skis, I, I feel like that's it's pretty hard to say that that's not a good choice to make. That's incredible. Yeah, it, it's not bad. You know, not that we do it super often, but often enough, like, you know, from our factory, you can ride a sled right into the Tetons. You can go during lunch or before work, 
We're not far from Jackson Hole or Targi at all. Quick hop, skip, and a jump. The skiing's right here. You know, our employees are skiing before work. If it's snowing a decent amount, we're all taking off the mornings. So not just was it, you know, a sustainable lifestyle for Tim and I, also trying to give that to our employees and have everyone on that same page. You know, we're all working together for the same vision. It's not just a unilateral choice of how we're all doing it. It's a team effort and that's who's on our team. We're all skiers or snowboarders. Is the snowboard manufacturing new? So we're getting into some OEM OEM manufacturing. So we have a snowboard brand or two that we're starting to do production work for, which comes along you know, as we moved into a new larger space this past winter. We have some additional capacity and really just differentiate in another stream of revenue. It made sense. It's a small stream of revenue currently, but something we want to grow. And you know, one one of the aspects that having a manufacturing and ski brand is the lumpiness of cash flow and having you know another spot to get some revenue and at different times of the year is very helpful. That is crazy. For the listener who has been a long time listener, you guys came on a long time ago. And when we were just getting started and you guys were getting rolling, I feel like since we last spoke, you've been growing hand over fist. Getting into the new warehouse is a huge game changer. I don't know if people realize what that means in terms of you know quality control, being able to actually shape your vision for your skis and now snowboards. What steps did it take you to get there? Like, What was the... I don't know what led to that decision to say, okay, we need to get a manufacturing facility. In our old facility, which I do still enjoy what we were doing there, you know, it was previously another business and it was laid out a certain way and there's a lot of limitations to it. And I pride ourselves as a team in being very flexible and learning how to make do with this, that, or the other and still make great skis while doing it. But knowing that, you know, in order to do this at the, the level where we truly are competing with the big box brands and with the other high-level manufacturers, you know, you have to have really nice machinery. You have to have big CNCs and you have to have more tuning equipment and you have to have a whole wood shop and just knowing that that's what we need, but we can't do it in this space. So our, our new factory is new construction, brand new building. You know, we laid the whole thing out from day one. So it's, it's built to our specs. And that said, only about half of that factory is done being built out. We still have another just under 4,000 square feet being built out for us in the same complex, uh, which hopefully is done in November, December, and probably start using it in the spring. But it's all, you know, exactly what we need is what we're getting. And that's just reflected in every single ski that goes out the door. As you mentioned, the quality control Every part is more precise, just really from the foundation. We're not compromising materials, nor are we compromising methods, trying to make the most precise thing we can. And in order to not compromise on materials, especially in times of COVID and crazy shipping, you know, we have to warehouse large amounts of materials that are difficult to find and difficult to source and keep good stock of. So a lot of it is just warehousing high-end materials so that we really can play with whatever we want and make production skis, not just prototypes, out of those high-end materials. I think, and last time we spoke years ago, it, you know, we were bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and 
just we're we're not always the most efficient. After some repetition, you learn exactly what you need. And you know, like Peter said, just even being able to lay out the factory from the beginning again and kind of spaghetti string through and not overlap and just be more efficient with space and, and movements has been huge. The upgrading in machinery, which takes more space, has been a game changer. Uh, and that's partially brought on from COVID. But pre-COVID, it was getting harder and harder to source some of our materials. So we made the choice and brought this in-house, which comes with additional investment. And like Peter said, we're storing a lot more raw materials because shipping has been ridiculous. And you know, several other ski companies have run out of specific materials this summer. We've been fortunate to kind of feather that and we've been kind of full steam ahead. That comes at a cost and being able to hold four to six months plus of any given material because you know, if you're missing one ingredient, you can't do anything. COVID seems to have been a nightmare for anyone who's, you know, building pretty complicated products. I know, you know, a pair of skis isn't just a piece of wood, a little bit of metal and, you know, whatever. There's a lot of things that come together there. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like you guys ha- are finally being able to like really lay out everything. I mean, you have your facility, you can get exactly what you want. You have what you need to kind of even grow beyond that, starting to create even snowboards. It seems like you're really starting to take the brand you've built and just shape all these details into it. Do you have any plans now that you're kind of getting your production in-house and taking control over all of it? Do you have any plans to shape the brand with it? Or is that something that you've really built as the foundation? I think the foundation of Sego skis is high quality skis that with, you know, progressive shapes and progressive rocker profiles a lot of attention to detail in the design and the bill of materials that goes into every ski. That's really the foundation. And that's what I want to keep spreading is just high quality skis. Our skis aren't the cheapest skis on the market, but they're by no means the most expensive skis out there. Most of our skis are under $1,000, most around 800 So I think for a very competitive price, we're outperforming the competition in what we are producing. And that's what I want the consumer to realize. And you know, it's not just on the skis, it's on all the goods that we're selling. And that goes into the customer service. And you know, you're getting a, a higher end experience for a bargain. And that's pretty darn important because we don't all have that kind of money, but we all want that performance. That's the backbone. And the expansion and having higher level machinery and all the materials and stock, it's it's really just to support that vision. How do you come up with your shapes? So you mentioned that, you know, obviously with skis things progress, you know, there's trends come and go, different materials come in the market. What is the process to figuring out like what you make? You know, the, the process is creative by design. Not all ideas are good, but the majority of the year, I'm usually tinkering around with designs, whether that's in CAD or in person, or, you know, we have a pretty good community here, as well as like our staff is all fantastic skiers and really willing to be make anything that anyone has the idea for and then go through the process also like we work with our athletes on on the designs and what they're looking for and taking those and making it maybe a little more approachable 
for your consumer for your average consumer. But really, it's like you got to try things, and you never know what the next fad or design or trend is if you're not trying everything. And some things end up being kind of goofy, but really cool. And then usually that gets turned into small differences and and minute changes that totally transform a ski. So to answer your question, it's skiing lots of different styles of skis, skiing lots of different designs and being open to opportunity, as well as being goofy with what we do. You know, we make too many mono skis because we don't really sell mono skis, but we like them. We make ski blades. We do barely sell them, but we make ski blades. Made some really funky snowboards that operate as skis. You know, we're always open to a funny idea. And then a lot of times that turns into something real. Sometimes it's like, no, that is ridiculous. But it's just really be kind of open to that creative process. And it helps now that we have that foundation. So it's not starting from scratch. We have a product line, well-reviewed, and it's incremental growth as a base. We do lots of fun, like like Peter said, lots of funky stuff and good ideas fall out of that. Uh, but it really helps to have that base baseline of skis. And then, like Peter said, with our athletes, the Sego comp came out of, you know, Isaac Freeland on the World Freeride World Tour. He's a playful skier, was on the Bighorn. Peter saw him ski. It's like, he needs a sheet of metal in those skis. And Isaac's like, I don't want the cleaver. That's not playful enough for me. Like, I, it's just not my style. So that, and that's how the Sego comp was really the, the impetus for is the hybrid of, of two of our models, both very popular, but finding that niche of exactly what our athlete needed. And then he won the Freeride World Tour. So it worked out. I guess that's kind of like the ultimate confirmation that, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We worked on that design for, for months together. And, and then he, you know, pretty much won on the prototypes. So I was like, yeah, okay, that worked. <laughs> but yet, you know, he is a phenomenal skier and I'm a solidly mediocre to decent skier. And I that's usually what I ski on. Like it, it's still really fun and playful. It's not too stiff or not too this, that, or the other. If you can be a an everyday skier or the free odd world tour champion skiing on a stock ski, I, I think we've done an okay job with that. That's the thing that always blows my mind about, I guess, when you have a product that is something in, in a sport or a niche that has like really high level athletes, right? So you, you can get the the high performing, like the highest expectation of how you're going to use this product. And then, you know, obviously on the consumer base is not going to be these professional athletes, but it's it's so interesting to see like how this thing works and how to meet everyone's needs in this one thing. I feel like being able to nail it the way you guys do that's like, I don't know, mind blowing. Are a lot of your designs based on customer feedback and, you know, I guess working with people, like how much community sourcing do you use to create your products? A a decent amount. We all enjoy doing it. Demo days are fun. And when you're at a demo day, you're interacting with everyday skiers, weekend warriors, you know, your lifties and your everyone, you're dealing with everyone. And going through and getting everyone on all of your skis, stoking everyone out, like no one's upset about trying skis for free. But then being open to like, well, what you think? And like, like okay, these people who you can tell aren't as good as skiers, they're having a harder time with this. But then this guy, like, you know, you get that feedback and doing dozens and dozens of those every year puts a pretty good finger on the pulse of like, 
what each skier is doing, how they're turning. Sometimes it's skiing with those people. And yeah, it's, you have to listen to all opinions because, you know, as the designer, I'm only one skier and I have my own point of view, but you have to really see it from everyone's perspective. And a big piece of that is, you know, designing for high top ends and, and low bottom ends of how to make that ski work. Some skis, you know, really only come alive. We all know the skis that have cruising altitude. You got to get them up to cruising altitude and then they're as good as it gets. But when you're going slow, noodling around, they're terrible and, and unwieldy. That's difficult. And it's like, well, that ski's as good as it gets. But not everyone gets to cruising altitude. So it doesn't really work. And that's where I think, or I know, that our line and Peter's designs really shine. I'd say that's the most impactful aspect is that range in a single model and who it can fit. And Isaac skis on the stock Sego comp. And yep. that ski works great for an intermediate skier. And you could get on it as a beginner as well. But it's it has a, a phenomenal range. And I, that's one of the, I think, our, our secret sauce in Peter's design is that range of who can be on the ski and absolutely love it. It feels like, you know, with working with these higher level athletes, and just building out your new facility, you guys are like really been really progressing things. Do you have a specific vision for where you want to take Sego Skiko? Continuing to progress, I mean, not being just resting on our laurels and making the same ski year after year. We want to be excited about coming to work as well and continuing to progress in shape and design and materials and. Uh, grow our brand. It's been really nice shifting from wholesale to direct focus and being able to interact with those customers. You know, we have a ski finder feature. You fill out a survey, you know, we help fit you for a ski, you know, have a bunch of dialogue. You know, so many of our customers call us first and we help fit them for a ski, but you know, we have chat feature on our website, but we we touch all our customers directly now and that that's really cool. And it's something we want to continue to grow because that's one of the things that differentiates our brand is just a really high level of service, more of a white glove service for a pretty solid value. You know, we have a great warranty, which, you know, that rarely comes up. But yeah, just being able to interact and make that personal touch and it's super satisfying. You know, we sell a pair of skis and two years later, they come back for a new ski they might just be at it most likely at just adding to their quiver because their ski still has some life in it but yeah seeing people come back is is awesome that actually is pretty incredible if you're you know actually talking to your customers on the phone i mean i i know like chat feature you can always insert that but to actually go above and beyond and have a full-blown conversation that's i feel like that is the thing that gets people excited to i mean a go skiing but find the skis that they're gonna love instead of just like liking them and it's the customer we i guess attract because i we were actually having this conversation the other day or last week that it's like i don't call brands to like get fit for whatever i'm looking for i just go online and buy it which is fine and we have plenty of people to do that but we are attracting a customer that wants that personal interaction and we love having it and it's it's great and we kind of fell into that. And yeah, we try to outperform with customer service 
and get people the right skis. Probably six, seven years ago, thinking about the data that was out there on ski sales in the industry. And it used to be, you know, less than a decade ago that 80 plus percent of your skis are sold brick and mortar. And obviously, online sales for all industries is a much larger thing now. But there's obviously a need for that additional attention and that additional touch that traditional online buying, you just don't get that you would get at a brick and mortar store. That, you know, it's that that confidence of talking to somebody and then reassuring you like, yes, this is a great choice. Like, this is what's going to fit you. You're not making a blind decision right now. And, you know, if you feel like it's blind, we'll give you a satisfaction guarantee. And and if you don't like the ski, you can turn it. We'll send you a different one or or you get your money back. But we're pretty confident in what we fit you to. So and that's the experience you get at a ski shop. That satisfaction guarantee that Peter spoke of. You know, it really came about in COVID because we weren't doing demo days and that's the easiest way to, you know, convince someone to, to get on a pair of Segos and then purchase. There were no demo days. So it was, well, I haven't, you know, I like your brand. I've heard great things. My friend has them. I just don't know if I like this exact model and size, like if it's going to be perfect for me. And so just buy it. And if you don't, you know, go ski it. If you don't like it, we'll full refund and we'll figure it out. And no one's taken us up on it, but that offer still stands because we, we believe in the ski and we obviously want them to be on the right product. So if we did have to exchange something, that's that's not the end of the world. That is huge. And I, I mean, to your credit of saying, I know what I like, like I have brands that I'm pretty loyal to and I, I've tried enough where I have an expectation. I feel like with a lot of people who may not get to, I mean, you guys live in Idaho, like at the foot of multiple mountains or like just within arms reach for any skier like someone who's like really into the sport that doesn't have that accessibility paying for a pair of skis that you don't love could be like the most heartbreaking thing ever so i feel like that's you know getting that or having that level of care to want to have the perfect thing just makes so much sense and it clearly it's working because i have been seeing way more sego skis on the mountain i gotta ask while you were kind of going through that and i was checking out some of your skis What's the deal with the Sego Ski Bookstore? Oh, the bookstore, that, that's really headed up by Abbott, Gilbane. They're mostly local guidebooks or books that we like. Many of them are out of print and hard to find and from some of our personal collections or leverage our connections and friends who are the authors of said out-of-print books or just good guidebooks that are still in print. It's it's kind of what we think every skier who's in the Rockies needs to own at least some of those. So our piece of trying to help educate the community and hold on to some of those really cool books and, and spread the love rather than just keeping them locked away in our bookshelves. Someone comes in and the differentiated experience and what, you know, be opening and help them find the right routes and just get more engaged locally. I'm like Peter said, we have books where it's an expanding part, a small part of the business, but I think it just speaks to who we want to be in the core of the ski community and being able to you know, offer out of books and Abbott scavenges the internet and eBay and finds books that, yeah, you just can't get. So yeah, neat little side project, really. And, you know, some of the authors and one good example, like Tom Turiano is writes guidebooks for the Tetons and he has some really cool books with fantastic stories and like we said some of those are out of print and you know he's also somebody who is testing our backcountry skis and our relationship goes back and forth where 
we were getting, you know, high level guide and, and reviewer their opinions while they're writing guidebooks. And that's cool. It's cool to know that that's how that testing process is going and it's creative both directions. And that's nice. And it's nice having that interaction with the local community as well as just the ski community in general. I always love seeing stuff like that. I feel like that's the thing that helps breathe, you know, kind of life into an organization. You briefly touched base on this about, you know, Sego Ski Co. and its relationship to the greater, I guess, ski and snowboard community now. Where do you guys want Sego Ski Co. to fit in the narrative of the... It's kind of like a vague one, so like... Yeah, we probably have two answers to it. I would say a brand that is widely known that people look up to and you know that that's kind of the first adjectives that would come to mind are quality progressive you know long lasting fun or probably fun we make skis to have fun on and just you know a solid we'd like to be the cornerstone of u.s manufacturing for skis and continue to do that so just be a well-known respected brand that continues to progress but just have people positive attitude towards Sago that you make fun skis that last a long time and you can come in have a beer with us read a book get your skis tuned and hopefully get you in a new setup kind of adding on to that and and agreeing with all of that as tim said the, the base of skiing is fun and just making sure that that is our influence not just on our customer but on the ski industry as a whole making sure that everyone's living and breathing the stoke that everyone is excited for snow and just kind of being the, you know, spreading that, that good word and, and making sure people are staying positive and excited, not just getting bogged down and lift lines and traffic. And can you believe this expansion plan or that expansion plan? We're all out to ski for fun and just trying to be the messenger for that. That's where I see ourselves down the road in the industry of continuing to set the tone. I feel like that's, the, you know, the most, that's should be at the forefront of, I mean, unfortunately it's not, but the fact that you guys are specifically calling it out, that's, you know, that's big. Occasionally I'll hear some people talk about skiing and it always ends up being about like trying to, you know, be the best or it seems like it's like a fashion show. So, you know, keeping the roots true, it's always a good thing. I think that's the job of a small company. And as we grow, that voice gets larger. So making sure that that's always the voice. It is. I mean, not to get too political, but it, it also, I, I feel like companies like Sego Skiko are super important specifically because it, you guys kind of stand up to the behemoths that dominate the industry. And like, there's nothing wrong with the bigger brands that have existed and, you know, really paved the way. But at a point, that kind of monopoly can't be good for progression as a whole. No. And that's where we're dynamic. Obviously, our, you know, our models carry from year to year with with improvements but we're a lot more nimble we make the skis we go ski them we sell them where you know a bigger brand that's made in europe or china and again plenty of great skis plenty of great brands they pave the way but we're nimble and can adapt and their plans are five six seven years out of what they're going to produce we can help and are trying to set trends not just follow in line with what the new s7 rosy s7 is going to be so we're much more dynamic and hopefully we're trying to set the tone of, you know, of what comes next. And, and kind of beyond that, you know, there's, there's a lot of industries, you know, that you, you've got like fair trade coffee or, you know, that this comes from factories where their employees are treated this way, or there's some sort of sustainable promise. 
X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. You know, manufacturing in the U.S. isn't easy, but just as we said, we're at this for a sustainable lifestyle for ourselves and helping to provide that sustainable lifestyle for our employees. It, it feels good knowing that all the skis made are by skiers who can live sustainably in the Tetons, where it's expensive and hard to live here. We're a mountain town, but we're, we're providing that service for our employees and ourselves. And that's who your skis are getting built by. And, and that's like kind of at the heart and the foundation of why it's different than the big box manufacturers. You know, the Rossi skiers are not making your Rossi Mill skis. They're just not. And nor are they providing that sustainable lifestyle in a mountain town where all those people go skiing every day or most days. You know, it's like, it's just different. <laughs> and we can, and that's one of our favorite things and is to give factory tours. And most people are like, I didn't know this much went into making a ski. <laughs> you're like your prices are very fair. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so that that's 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 really fun to show people what we do and be able to touch people in that way. Everything about that I love. I feel like that you guys are really kind of filling in the gaps of the disconnect between like again what it takes to build a ski, A, and B the creative process of actually trying to take something that exists and you know, kind of just giving it a nudge in the direction that might be better for where, I don't know, for how people are riding, right? Like people aren't riding skis today the same way that they're riding, they've been riding in the 90s or 80s. You have your athletes like pushing the limits of doing things, you know, say, okay, I might need this. People are going to try to emulate that. What you guys said before a couple of questions ago about creating these goofy designs just because I feel like you can get some amazing things out of that too. Is there any like really crazy shape or design that you just said huh like what if we just attach like 60 cup holders to this pair of skis like just something so ridiculous rarely is the conversation that although maybe equally as ridiculous ideas do come about i don't know i think one of my last really fun designs we made a mono ski that was maybe like 195 or 196 it was ungodly wide and it was the biggest noodle you've ever seen you like touch its tip to its tail water turn radius on it. It also had snowboard binding inserts on it, a matching pair of sacks same design was separated. So it was kind of like a set. It was somewhat of a joke, but then one of our employees, it it converted him into a monoskier. He was out there, you know, I bet he got in 30, 30 plus days on monoskis last year where he had not monoskied before that. And he was just on this huge powder noodle that no one's ever seen before. That is just, it, it was insane. And, you know, it was like other people saw it like, whoa, I want that. It's like, I might make more of those down the road, but, but you know, it, it kind of helps develop rocker profiles and taper points and you know putting some of the ideas to the extreme maybe you use those in design and maybe you don't but at the very least it that was a pretty recent one that was fun i feel like it takes one person to like pull off some very specific cool trick to warrant people to be like huh what if we did combine this in a feasible way that wouldn't completely change a pair of skis you're totally right and that's like, you were saying people have always been skiing this way or that way. People buttering on skis. It's like so different than what flux profiles in a ski used to be. But now on like certain skis, it's nice to have like a super solid underfoot, but then kind of with that butter platform or that, you know, flexier tip or tail, but then have it be damp enough to not chatter. It's like, well, these people want to be doing, you know, butter threes off of cliffs. Like, how do we make a ski that can land that? That's not a 
noodle park ski, then is also just fun to ride. And so kind of to that, to that point of a design consideration, whether it's a trick or a skiing style or people skiing more upright or in the back seat or way far forward. And just like, how do you manipulate designs and materials to be able to accommodate and then work it into a production design? That's what keeps you guys in business every year. There will always be something new to add. There's always something and people always have ideas. I know you guys work with a, a lot of different nonprofits, different organizations giving back. One of them, I think one of the biggest ones is the High Fives Foundation. I'm not sure if that is any more or less than the others, but what does your partnerships look like? What does that relationship look like between the High Fives Foundation and some of the other? So, yeah, so we have a, we call the 2% back program. So you give 2% of profits back. And it really sprung out of, we're in a valley full of nonprofits and everyone would ask for skis or a gift certificate or this or that. And which we're, we'd love doing and still do, but we didn't always feel like our giving was really moving the needle and making an impact. So we kind of sought out to partner with several nonprofits that we give to more substantially and have a much stronger involvement and really feel like our contributions are making a difference directly. And we can see that a couple of those, like you mentioned, the High Fives Foundation, um, Jackson Hole Ski Club, the Coombs Foundation, and the TVSEF, which is the Teton Valley Ski Education Foundation, of which Peter now is the president of the board. But yeah, really just we how we want, again, kind of that sustainability. And it's not just Peter, myself, or our employees. It's also the community. And the community has needs as well, and we want to be a part of that. Yes, as Tim mentioned, I'm the president of our local ski club of the board. And my sole mission is getting more kids skiing affordably. Kind of like full stop. Skiers, ski resorts are expensive. Gear's expensive. Trying to find scholarship money and high-level instruction for kids to get into skiing and then progress at a pretty high level. That's kind of the passion behind all of it, is making sure that everyone can get out there skiing. The skiing's given me a ton and Tim a ton as well. When we were both kids, we were in the ski program. We were raised in Ithaca, New York, and we skied Greek Peak. And, you know, there's a bus from the, we, we were at public school, and there's a bus from the public school a couple times a week. I, I think maybe when I was in high school, there was a bus every day to go night skiing. And there'd be tutors up on the mountain, and it was a $99 season's pass. And you'd go up there, get your homework done, ski. You didn't have to be a part of a ski team or anything like that. You just go rip around with your friends. And if you needed help in your academics, those resources were there. And that that's really shaped my life. And I truly believe that skiing is a, a vessel for teaching personal responsibility and teaching people about themselves. You know, you push yourself in the sport. You're responsible for yourself in the cold weather. We all like it when it's snowing. But, you know, that's that's challenging elements for a lot of folks. So I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And I think it's the way to live life is to be comfortable in your own skin and be comfortable and happy. And skiing teaches a lot of that. So my passion is trying to trying to get everyone else skiing affordably and sustainably as well, not just a vision for myself. That's basically the foundation of building a community. I mean, helping pass on the torch to the younger generation. I mean, as cliche as it sounds. It is, you know, I guess a bit cliche, but that's that's still huge. That's building it out. If you guys could change one thing about the snow industry, 
as it is today, what would it be, if anything at all? Probably make, just make it more accessible, maybe less intimidating, because everyone should have the opportunity to get out there and slide down snow. Yeah, I'd agree. Accessibility is, is kind of number one, and with rising lift ticket prices and rising gear costs, it gets harder and harder by the day. Yeah, it right. looks like we are getting down to the wire. Have a couple more questions for you. The first one is a lot of people are getting into the backcountry. A lot of people are, you know, getting into the side country, just going touring in general. Are you guys, I, I don't know, are, I don't know how to answer this. What do you think about people really starting to make a transition from resort skiing to be more open to backcountry and side country skiing, touring, all that? It's very healthy for people to be walking around. And like I was mentioning earlier, personal responsibility, obviously there's a lot more, more of that back country than there is at the resort, but it still hits the same issue. As more there's entry, there's potentially an influx of accidents and it all comes down to education and making sure that folks have education and the practice. And I, I think that's expanding on those educational opportunities and you know we all have taken our young ski lessons at the resort but you don't really get backcountry lessons maybe you take like an avi one course or an avi two or you take a awareness course but you seldom see backcountry lessons and i think it's really like rephrasing how we all go about this and how we all enjoy ourselves and getting back to the well I'm not smart enough to do this, or maybe I'm very smart, but I don't know all the things and I have to be educated. And it's not just in a classroom, you know, you got to get out there and do it. And I think that is fantastic for the industry. There's a lot of backcountry out there and people should be out there having fun. The mountains are there and the mountains are fun. There's often more snow to be had. So at the end of the day, I think it's great. I hope that it spurs another level of jobs and guide services and lessons to be had, and just kind of more industry. I think on the gear side, the gear is there. Bindings are fantastic. Skis are fantastic. Boots are fantastic. There's institutional knowledge on you know your Avalanche One courses and, and this, that, and the other. But the practical experience is hard to get without putting yourself into situations. So making that more accessible and finding that method. I think that's where the industry needs to grow to keep up with where the gear and demand is. Yeah. I mean, it, it really feels like it's coming down to that idea of accessibility. And it is like the gap is getting you know bigger and bigger. COVID is definitely not helping that either. Last one for you guys, the easy one. What's the best part about running and building Sego Ski Co? Being at a demo day, getting someone on skis that's probably a little apprehensive, and seeing the smile on their face as they you know, finish a run and come back to the tent. Nothing like it. It's also, maybe on the other side of that, it's incredibly satisfying making a tangible product. And we're not just selling widgets. We're selling a lifestyle. And we're a lifestyle company and we're a manufacturer. And that, with that comes a lot of satisfaction. And that's very much connected to, I guess, the first part of my answer is just seeing people have a great time on something that I had a hand in producing. Jim pretty much nailed it there. It's putting smiles on people's faces. You know, we're selling pleasure. And sometimes that's skiing. Sometimes that's running an event. That 
could be in a Fourth of July parade. Regardless, you know, we're just trying to make people have a good time and and sell the stoke to make sure that everyone's on on that page and that we're all excited about nature and being immersed in it, putting smiles on faces. Just to expand on Peter's answer, so we have a full length school bus that we converted and we drive around to demos. But Fourth of July parade's a big deal in Victor. There's about, you know, it's a 10,000 people. Yeah, so. it's a city of 2,000 that has 10,000 people come to the parade. Peter converted or added an attachment to our air brakes and made a hot dog cannon. And every year we shoot hot dogs into the crowd, which are fully, fully cooked and warm, dressed with ketchup and mustard, wrapped in tinfoil. And this year we made... I think 400 or 450 hot dogs before the parade and chopped them into the crowd. So the hot dog gun can go hundreds of yards. It's pretty impressive. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm there next year. That's amazing. When someone catches the hot dog and it was 200 feet in the air, they're just as happy as if they were just skiing. That's for sure. And we <laughs> ski, we, we ski behind the bus as well. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just a it's fun, fun event. Yeah. We like putting smiles to people's faces. Oh my God. You guys need to figure out a way to get the hot dog cannon on a pair of skis. That is the ultimate right there. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Amazing. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. For the listener who wanted to find out more about Sego Ski Co., maybe pick up a book, maybe a pair of skis. Where's the best place for them to head? SegoSkis.com. Give us a call. You can chat with us on our website, join our email list. I think that's at the bottom of the homepage. You can put in your name. We try to throw out some pretty good content, not all salesy, but, you know, talk about our athletes, where we're going, what we're doing, how to have fun in the outdoors and be safe. Those are the easiest ways. And Or stop by our factory for a tour of beer and a pair of skis or just a tour. We're here and we'd love to meet you. That's amazing. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Hey, Ready Any Podcast listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Any Podcast. I'll catch you next week. Bye.